The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew 1, 18 to 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word, Lord, for your spirit and for community. God, in all of these ways that we see more of who you are and um, the lengths that you would go to show how much you love us, Lord, to show how much you care for us and to show us that we are yours, Lord. I thank you for this time where we um, are in anticipation, Lord, and remembering what that looked like, God, that you made a promise and you fulfilled that promise. Um, And we just pray over Pastor Randall's message as you speak through him to us, God, and that may we remember to celebrate and to love each other during this season. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Gabby. Great job. All right. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. Um, If you're new this morning, my name is Randall, uh, pastor here at Grace City. It's great to have you this morning. Thank you for being here. Uh, We are in a series uh, called Advent, um, but it's a time of year where we uh, celebrate the coming of Jesus. Um, It's not a one-time event, right? Like Christmas Day can be this one-time event where we experience the goodness that that Jesus came. But uh, really, it's a season for us to, to think on this because That's how amazing the incarnation really is, that God came to be with us. And so our texts today are from Isaiah 7, 14 and Matthew 1, 18 through 21. And I want to encourage you to, uh, we do have the Advent reading plan uh, that's available for you, and so you can read some uh, passages from the Old Testament and New Testament and bring those together. Uh, but our focus this season is to look at Jesus. Um, and so the message for today is experiencing Jesus in the struggle. Experiencing Jesus in the struggle. You heard it before, uh, the struggle is real. Um, so do you feel the struggle? A couple weeks ago, I was with a friend. Um, I've known this friend for a long time, one of my very dear friends um, out in Montana. He's a pastor. Uh, I got to catch up with him a little bit, and he told me this story. He said, uh, Randall, he said, uh, you wouldn't believe what my daughter told me. I said, well, tell me the story. He said, um, you know, recently I was growing out my hair. 
And uh, I decided I was going to shave my, my head. And so I went to the bathroom. I shaved my head. And um, I walked out. And he said, my youngest daughter just looked at me and said, oh, great. He looked at her and he says, what? She uh, tells him, now you're bald and chubby. <laughs> yeah. We just looked at each other and laughed, you know, and uh, he told me, he says, my daughter, she just does not mince words, and I said, yeah, you're right, uh, that's, that's pretty obvious, and, and now I just turned 40 this week, and so all of my friends are giving me these little jabs, you know, yes, I made it to 40, thank you, Lord, um, but they're giving me these little jabs, you know, here and there, uh, but I'm okay with that, I'm okay with that, you know, we have to face the reality, there really is a struggle, um, and thankfully, the Bible does not mince words about the, that the Christmas, uh, it meets us, not when everything's working perfectly, but it meets us in the midst of real struggle. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. See, what is Advent? It's not just that Jesus came, but Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. It's an anticipation. It's a looking forward to this isn't it, but that there's something more to come. Now, if you're just joining us, we're studying these Old Testament passages which uh, help us to understand and apply uh, Jesus' arrival. And so we're going to look today uh, specifically at these two passages, but really dive into Matthew 1, 18 through 21 and the fulfillment of this. But it's not just this abstract idea, but it's a reality that enters into our everyday lives. And so we're going to look at that today. And so let's start by examining Isaiah 7, 14. Because in this passage, it helps us pave the way to get to Matthew 1. Now, to understand uh, the passage that we see in Isaiah 7, uh, we must understand that the, the, the prophet Isaiah is in the midst of a real struggle. He's in the midst of a real struggle. Because if you uh, go back to Isaiah chapter 6, uh, right before... Isaiah meets the Lord. It says that it was in the year that King Uzziah died. So King Uzziah, uh, ruling king, but basically the, the land that Isaiah was living in was a land in political turmoil, in confusion, didn't know what was going to happen next. A lot of uncertainty and struggle in the time of Isaiah. And so the people during the, that time uh, had all of these different ideas. Here's the answer. Here's, here's the, what we can do next. And Isaiah told them, we need to look to God. Now, a commentator, Derek Kidner, writes this about Isaiah 7. He says, the abiding truth of this passage is that faith in the Lord and in his promises is a practical approach to life, however great the crisis. To this message, Isaiah received as cold a reply from politicians and the people of his day as would be the case today. 
practical people, they would say, have to live in the real world where political astuteness and military muscle are what counts. Basically, what was said then and what would say today is this, that we need practical ways to fix our lives. Yeah, we get this God stuff, but, but we really need practical ways to do this. And that is where we get Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. You say, you want all the practical ideas? You want all the answers? You want, you want to figure out what to do in the midst of struggle? He says, you need to hold on to this. You need to hold on to this because this is what God is going to do. That's going to be the answer to your greatest struggles. And so how does this help us in the struggle? You see, this prophecy seems so distant and irrelevant to the people then And if we don't see the meaning of it now, it will seem very distant and irrelevant to us today. My son informed me recently that that there's people spending hundreds of dollars on advent calendars. It's like this uh, huge thing where he's like, Dad, did you see like my friend got the Dior advent calendar? I'm like, how much does that cost? And I looked it up. I was shocked. advent calendar we think we can buy it we think if we can label it we think if I have that thing if I can even take the advent calendar make it very pretty and get all these extra bonuses with it that's going to be the answer it's not see advent means so much more that's what we got to lean into and so it's experiencing Jesus in the struggle, that we find the answer. And so, again, our text today is Matthew 1, 18 through 21. We're going to dive into that. Um, but how do we experience Jesus in the struggle? Well, it's by understanding these three things that we see in today's text. First one is he took on humanity. Second is he took on shame. And third is he took on sin. He took on humanity. He took on shame. He took on sin. And so the first one is he took on humanity. Let's look at Matthew 1, uh, starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And so what we find out in, in verse 18 is that the author Matthew wants us to know that this narrative is rooted in history. Jesus was not a figment of the imagination, but there are specific details about his birth that Matthew wants us to understand. You see, these details open up to us the reality of the messy, broken, confusing world filled with struggle that Jesus is born into. And it's in this that God took on flesh and came into our reality. See, this is the beauty of the incarnation. One church father, Gregory of Nazinzin, said this, remaining what he was, 
he became what he was not. Remaining what he was, he became what he was not. That God became one of us. See, why does this matter? Well, there are many reasons why this matters. But I think Dorothy Sayers, a British essayist and detective novelist, once boiled it down pretty well. Here's what she said. She says, the incarnation means that for whatever reason, God chose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death. He has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience. From the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us and thought it well worth his while. Think upon that. You will not find in any other religion that God became one of us. And when you start to boil that down, you start to understand that God really does know what you're going through. Have you ever felt like God is so distant and that God, you don't understand me? You don't understand the pain that I felt? He took on humanity. God took on flesh. That's the beauty of the incarnation. And so that's the first point. The second is this. He took on shame. He took on shame. Uh, The second part of verse 18 into 20, here's what it says. So now Matthew lays out the details. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, for many of us, we read the Christmas story, we read the birth of Jesus, and we gloss over the details. Because again, it, in many ways, it's easy to keep this distant from us. Right? We, we gloss over the details of this, but when we start to lean in, what we find is that this message right here, leaning in, is actually very very profound. See, God could have chosen a lot of different ways to come, to take on flesh, to become one of us. But he chose specifically to send Jesus through a pregnant, unwed teenage girl. That's how he chose to to, to come. Why? Why? Well, because he willingly took on the shame of this world. And in taking on the shame of society, he chose to identify with all of us. With all of us. See, some of us come from difficult, 
complicated, messy family backgrounds. For some of us, we struggle this time of year because it brings up really difficult, hard memories about family members, about things that have been said, about things that have been done. But the Christmas story leans into this and helps us to understand that all of this really matters. Because what this reminds us of is that Jesus understands. He knows the complications that can be found even within our own family lineage. See, if you were to read through Jesus' family tree in Matthew 1, you're going to find a lot of people in that family line that will raise your eyebrow and you're like, I can't believe the Bible put that in there. See, sometimes we start to read through Jesus' genealogy and our eyes start to glaze over. We're like, okay, I get it. But if we were to lean in, we would see that it's actually very messy. And there's a lot of shame that was attached to some of the names that are in Jesus' family tree. See, how does this fact that Jesus took on shame relate to us today? Well, in a 2016 New York Times article entitled The Shame Culture, the author describes the work of Andy Crouch and how he describes shame culture affecting all of us. Here's what he says. He says, in a guilt culture, you know you are good or bad by what conscience, or your conscience feels. In a shame culture, you know you are good or bad by what your community says about you, by whether it honors or excludes you. In a guilt culture, people sometimes feel they do bad things. In a shame culture, social exclusion makes people feel they are bad. Crouch argues that the omnipresence of social media has created a new sort of shame culture. The world of Facebook, Instagram, and the rest is a world of constant display and observation. The desire to be embraced and praised by the community is intense. People dread being exiled and condemned. Moral life is not built on the continuum of right and wrong. It's built on the continuum of inclusion and exclusion. See, there is a reality that some of us are carrying because of the shame. Now let's dive in a little bit deeper. Let's see, how did Jesus grow up? Well, the details are given to us. Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, but it says before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Huh. Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. See, this wasn't just something that Mary and Joseph would eventually see, but the whole community would have known. The whole community would have looked upon Mary and Joseph and heap shame upon them. And so what does that say about Jesus' upbringing? Well, he grew up in a small community that thought he was born out of wedlock. And a town that would have spread rumors and gossip about his parents. Lies that would have followed Jesus his whole life. We get a hint of this in John 8, 41. 
Jesus is calling out the Pharisees and all of the things that they had done. And so as a comeback to Jesus, here's what they said. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. When commentator says this, the statement, we were not born of sexual immorality, is a direct slur against Jesus, whose birth was a subject of some controversy. In short, the critics are smearing Jesus' reputation by calling him an illegitimate child. See, for some of us, we say, how can Jesus relate to me? But the fact that Jesus experienced this type of pain, this type of shame that was being heaped upon him, which wasn't true because what we know to be true is that Jesus was conceived from the Holy Spirit. That Jesus' birth was foretold long before all the way back in Isaiah 7.14. The rumors, the gossip, the lies, that were told and spread about Jesus to exclude him in some way, to make him feel lesser, today can meet us in those times where we felt lesser, we felt excluded, we felt the shame. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. The sinless son of God taking on the shame of the world, taking on the shame that he didn't deserve as he walked through this life. Lastly, he took on sin. Verse 21 says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? This verse tells us specifically why he came. But what can all of the season turn into? We, I was recently watching a movie uh, with my family called Spirited. Um, it's this new movie. It's got Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds, and it's a pretty funny take on uh, A Christmas Carol. It's kind of a new rendition of it. Um, but Ryan Reynolds' character, he's like the Scrooge this terrible person and he's getting all these people riled up and one of the things he gets them riled up about is um, real trees versus fake trees and he's like you know he's trying to get this culture war happening between the people who are all about the real trees versus people who have fake trees and say you really don't have Christmas if you don't have the real tree or you really don't have Christmas if you have the fake tree you know like that type of thing going on and it was this funny thing as you're watching it but you're like man how do we do that? We make this time about that. Is that why Jesus came? What does this passage say? It gives us two specific, very specific answers to the question why he came. The first, it says in verse 21, you shall call his name Jesus. What does Jesus mean? Jesus means Yahweh saves. God saves and so we want to know what the meaning of christmas is we want to know what this the birth of jesus coming into the world is first we need to know it's this that god saves that's the simple message of the gospel 
But then if you go down next, it says he will save his people from their sins. He will save their people from their sins. J.I. Packer once said, for Jesus to save us, he had to become one of us. The word became flesh. God became man. He says, the more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is the truth of the incarnation. See, friends, will we let that hit our hearts today? Because we see that it is he who will save us, save his people from their sins. See, this is it. Ultimately, Jesus was sent into the world not to be a good example or, or give us nice teaching, but to save us from our sins. Jesus was on a rescue mission. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Psalm 130, verse 8, he himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. See, what's the greatest struggle that you and I have that we could never overcome? It's not whether we need real trees or fake trees. It's not not whether we got our lights up right now or we don't. It's not whether we're going to get that present under the tree or not. Our biggest struggle, our biggest issue is the reality of our sin. See, what is sin? Well, it's multifaceted. But beneath the surface, it's the belief that I can save myself. I can save myself. I'm the God of my own life. I don't need God. See, in many ways, our pride that I can do it, spirit, holds us back from experiencing Jesus as Savior. One of the things that I was doing with my kids recently is um, like our family, we, we sponsor different uh, kids through Compassion International. It's one of the groups that we work with um, through our church. Uh, actually, from one of the Christmas offerings from the very beginning of our church, went to go uh, help sponsor and build a church in Ecuador. And there's a... There's, um, one of the, the kids that we sponsor, Christian. And it's interesting kind of watching through his life because now he's in ninth grade and I had my kids read the, the note that he, he gave. But to see that him, like when he, he first started with him to now and his understanding of how important Jesus is in his life is so powerful. It's so like, I feel like, you know, my kids are kind of learning and growing and getting there to that place. But I said, you know, I, I, I told him this, I said, you know that the, the greatest barrier to really understanding who Jesus is can be all the stuff that you got, can be all the ways that you can think that you don't need God in your life. That could be the biggest hindrance. That's why Jesus tells us how hard it is for a rich person to get into heaven because he knows that we can be deceived into believing that we are the God of our own life, that I can get through life without God. 
but I desperately need a savior to save me from that. Save me from the belief that I can do this on my own. He had this beautiful picture and it was pretty simple. All it, (laughs) this ninth grader, just Jesus. I said, guys, that's the message. That's the message. But we gotta see, it's, he came on a rescue mission. And so just some takeaways. How does Jesus meet us in the struggle? Well, the first one is he calls us to surrender control. To surrender control. I want you to think about this place in life where Joseph and Mary are at. They're literally about to start their life together. And then God says, you're the ones that are gonna bring Jesus into the world. Huge interruption if, you know, like, hey, we, were, we had some plans, Jesus, you know? Like, this whole story This historical message is the message of saying it's time to surrender control. You can't name him. His name was already written before the world began. You just name him what we say. (laughs) Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God. It's Jesus. Surrender control. And so it calls us to the reality and to the reminder that the Christian life is saying, Lord, I surrender all. I lay it at your feet. The next is it calls us to confess our greatest struggle. You know, sometimes we think that, God, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've struggled with. You don't know the parts of me that no one else knows that are just secret to me. Friends, Jesus knows. He knows our deepest pain. He knows our deepest shame. He knows our guilt. He knows all, all of it. And he didn't come to call us out on it. He came to be the solution to it. (laughs) See, he doesn't just leave us there. Yes, this is the truth. This is who I am. But this is not who I'm meant to be. He's called us to something more. He's called us out of that. And so we can confess our greatest struggles. We can be real. We can be honest. Because that was Jesus' mission. He came on that mission. And lastly, it's this, receive him in the struggle. Receive him in the struggle. Like, receive him right where you're at right now. Right, the, the, the message of Advent, the story, the, the message of Christmas is, is that we can receive him in the, the midst of the, the messy struggle and know that he is the solution. He will bring us out. 
God, he loves us that much. See, how can you and I experience him in that, in that place? It's when we start to see that Jesus, you really did take on humanity. God, you really did become one of us. It's true, Emmanuel, God with us. And he took on weakness. He, he didn't choose to, to come in a way where he's, he's, he's saying, look at me. Look at all that I have. Look at this beautiful Dior calendar. No, he's saying, look at me in my weakness. Look at me in the shame. And he says, I'll take your greatest shame your sin, and I'll carry it all the way through this life, through life, right? Jesus lived 33 years, lived life. Jesus in the mundane life. So we don't know a lot about Jesus' life before his public ministry at age 30. It's just normal life. Jesus did that for us. And he carried it all the way to the cross. Why? For you, for me, for love. See, we want to be healed in the struggle. Will we receive his, his love, the, the greatest gift of love, to, to, to say... God, I don't know if you love me. Look at the lengths at which he was willing to go for you. Look at the lengths for me, like the lengths at which he was willing to go for me. And to see that that's the greatest news, that's the greatest gift that pushes everything aside. It says, wow, okay, Jesus, I want to experience you. I want to experience you like that, knowing what you've done for me. Will you seem like that today? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to go through that for us. Lord, I pray that you help us to see more and more how much you've done. You've done so much. You are so good. And Lord, it's so easy for us to get distracted on what we do that we don't see what's been done. Lord, I just pray that it just, it's just like bright, right in front of us, can't miss it. Here's what Jesus did. And we dive into that more and more and we experience who you are more and more each day. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.